I hope not to be too long here this morning. Every time I say that, I preach a long time. Amen. So don't hold me to it, but I hope not to be too long. But I believe God has given me a message here for us this morning to confront what, at least on an unconscious level, we should already know. And my prayer are that these words, if God will graciously anoint them, will set the spiritual tone leading into this month of fasting and prayer. May these words penetrate every heart, amen, every soul. And may they break the hardness and the apathy in our spiritual life. And if God repent, may they penetrate the very essence of who we are. And inspire a deep burden for revival amongst us. Because revival is needed. Amen. First we'll be reading here Second Chronicles chapter 5. We'll read the first 12 verses. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated. And the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel and of Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. Wherefore all the men of Israel assembled themselves under the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. They brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto the, his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark, and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark, of the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables, which Moses put therein at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asa and Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with the trumpets. Now turn over to the New Testament. I want you to hold your place right here, but turn over to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Just save your spot there in Second Chronicles, chapter 5. Turn over to Hebrews 9 and 4. Speaking of the fashion of the tabernacle or the temple and into the Holy of Holies, reading in verse 4, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. I want you to pay attention right here. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. I turn back. To Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 10. This is where we'll take our text here this morning. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. At the Friday night prayer meeting, God spoke to me right out of this text. He brought me here, and he gave me the title of this message. Something is missing inside. 
something is missing inside. Father, I ask for your spirit here this morning. I ask, Lord, your word would be effectual, Father God. Lord, that you would speak to us as a body, Lord. Oh, God, that there would be brokenness of spirit. Ears to hear, Lord God, I pray for your presence, Father. Open our eyes. We pray for eyes solved, Lord God, that we might see. And, Lord, that you would judge us as your people here today, Father God. Father, we could recognize our great need, Lord, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Something is missing inside. Something is missing inside. Here in our text, Solomon has finished building the temple, and this is an official unveiling to his countrymen. There is great pomp, and there is great ceremony. It is a day of much rejoicing. A permanent place of worship has been established. No one is surprised, amen, at the joy that the Israelites are showing here. As we know, the tabernacle, or at least in this case, the temple, it was crucial, of crucial importance in maintaining the true faith of God for Israel. Without the temple or the tabernacle, the tabernacle was just the mobile, amen, but the temple was permanent. Without that, amen, they could not practice the true religion before God. No doubt it was at the heart of the Jewish religious life. Now the final step in consecrating the temple to God was to bring in the consecrated things, the holy instruments. And the Ark of the Covenant are the Ark of the Testimony, as we will refer to it here this morning, was perhaps the most holy of all the holy things. It was the centerpiece of the temple, placed in the innermost room, the Holy of Holies. Access to that ark was restricted only to one single person, the high priest, and that only on one day of the year, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Amen. Think of that. One single man had access to that, uh, to that ark. Amen. No one, to, no one was to touch it. No one was even to look up on it. Amen. It represented God. It represented the presence and the power of God. Other than this, beside the high priest, no one was to touch, even to see the ark of the testimony. We know, we, we've studied the history. We see it in the Old Testament. Us, amen, reached out to study the ark. And God killed him. Amen. You look back in the Old Testament. You see the history there. The men of Beth Shemesh. Amen. They looked inside and God killed over 50,000 people because they glanced inside the ark. Amen. This is perhaps the most holy, amen, relic of the Old Testament temple life. Thus it was only fitting that it was brought in with great dignity and the utmost gravity. However, a startling revelation hidden from perhaps all who were there is granted to you and I, the reader of this account. It says in verse 10, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb. Unknown to all, something was missing inside. Something had been lost. Something God intended to be there. Something God, yes, commanded to be there had been carelessly lost and set aside. And I believe this morning, if we will be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Ghost, I believe there is a message here for us to glean and an application to humble us here. Amen. I only have three points to share with you this morning regarding this event and the Ark of the Testimony. And there are three what's, namely what remained, what was missing, and what does it all mean for you and I. Amen. What remained, what was missing, and what does it mean for you and I. We begin with what remained. It says here in Exodus 25 and 16, Amen. And thou shalt put into the ark 
the testimony which I shall give thee. He is speaking of the law. God is speaking to Moses, and he is speaking of the law. Amen. When the holy things, when they were dedicated, amen, there were only the two stone tablets of the law that remained. Amen. Now, when we think back to this event, I want us to consider the spiritual atmosphere of the day. There were many spiritual positives, many things that we see in this account that we can say, yes, that was God. Yes, that was good. Amen. So some thumbs up for a list of things. Amen. The word of the Lord is given to King David concerning Solomon. You're not going to build my house, but your son is going to build my house. That word of building the temple had been fulfilled. So the word of the Lord was fulfilled on that day. Well, they were in the right place at the right time, in the very heart of the will of God. No one denies that. Amen. They were meant to be there. God wanted them to be there. And He wanted them to be in that temple built by Solomon. Amen. It was the will of God. They were in the right place at the right time. And God wanted them to do what they were doing. All the elders were present. Amen. There was order. There was authority. The music was just right. Everything was according to the code of the ceremonial law. The altars were saturated with the blood of untold multitudes of sacrifice. There was no golden calf, no ox cart carrying the ark this time. No, no. These were men who would not tolerate any pattern of past apostasy. They were all too well read. They were avid students of Israel's sacred spiritual past. Amen. They had sound doctrine. Amen. They had orthodox theology. Amen. They had dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. They would not tolerate any external compromise. As the music played, no doubt the singers sang and the praisers praised. I'm sure shouts of Amen and glory to God could be heard ringing through. Amen. That new temple and all those walls that had just been erected in the name of God. As that ark was slowly brought in and ushered into its place. And yes, if you read further into the account, God's presence even filled the temple. Why is that? Because He promised that He would. He promised that He would. And yet as the ark of the testimony sat right where it belonged, right where it should be, there was some hidden, troubling lack. There was something missing inside. Something had been lost. Amen. But it was hidden from almost everybody. Remember, none but the high priest could even touch the ark, much less look inside. So the lack was something hidden, something generally God could see, amen, but was not easily detected. Actually, you would think, amen, and as you meditate upon it, the establishment of a, of a, a temple here, amen, a, a, a place where we could come, a place where we could worship, the establishment of the temple, you would think that it would usher in an era of great spiritual progress for Israel. But it was not to be. Actually, this event, if you look back in the history, the Old Testament history of Israel, actually, this event marked a period of great decline. It is also interesting to note, the ark is referred to almost 200 times in the Old Testament. But after this, it's only mentioned sparingly. Throughout the early years of Israel's pilgrimage, the ark was always associated with the supernatural power and presence of God. Amen. When she was right, when Israel was walking with God, and when Israel had possession of that ark, victory was always hers. Victory was always hers. But after this event, the ark is never again identified with supernatural victory. Never one time in the Old Testament after this event is it ever linked to the supernatural power of God. Could it be the missing elements inside contributed to this fading of the ark into Old Testament obscurity? I believe, amen, is something for you and I to consider here this morning. Now the only thing in the ark were the two tables, the two tablets of the law. 
Now, you know, the ark is referred to as the ark of the covenant, or the ark of, te- of the testament, or the ark of God. But why was it referred to as the ark of the testimony? Because it contains something that God did not want them to forget. It contained a testimony, something, amen, to provoke them to look back and to consider. You know, God would rather us learn, amen, from the mistakes of others than have to learn firsthand, amen. He'd rather for us to learn these hard lessons by looking, amen, at the mistakes of others. Those Israelites wandering in the wilderness, those that crossed certain lines, they never got a second chance, amen. God judged them. Multitudes died because they violated the Word of God. And that testimony was there, amen, to cause us to fear the Lord and to cause all of God's people to consider the works of our mighty God. It was an ark of testimony. And it contains something, amen, that we would not forget. That we would not forget. Essential lessons that must be learned, amen, by the believer by God's people to move forward and to overcome. The law, amen, it was supposed to be there. Amen. And thank God that the law was there. Amen. That's a positive. That's a good thing. It's true. The law is needful. It's true. The law is good. It's true that the law is holy. Amen. No fault can be found with the law. But God intended far more than merely the law to be in that ark. No doubt, law is essential. But law is not enough. Law is not enough. Our discipline and spiritual standards, they are appropriate, amen, but there must be more, amen. There must be more. We've got to see that. Amen, the law was there, but there needs to be more than the law. Remember, during times of moral and spiritual decline, external restraint is the last thing to go. External restraint. The do's and the don'ts. Amen. And I make no qualms about it and no apology. The Bible is full of do's and don'ts. And that is right. But there's more to Christianity than mere outward restraint. Amen. Just because we're orthodox and our theology. Amen. Just because we continue to homeschool. Just because we're modest. Amen. Just because we practice biblical evangelism and preach on the street. Just because we're separated and don't go to the movies or watch television or whatever it may be. A thousand external things. Those things are good. Those things are needful. I don't think that a man who truly says that he's right with God and he's not externally conformed, amen, to the will of God, then he can't tell me that he's inwardly conformed either. But I can tell you what, just because we're externally conformed, doesn't necessarily mean that we're inwardly conformed. Amen. I'll never attack holiness. Amen. External holiness because that's linked to inward holiness. But don't let anyone here think. Don't let anyone here be so deceived as to believe just because you're faithful to the house of God, just because you got enough clothes on, amen, that you're really a worshiper of Jesus Christ, amen. Listen to me, that inward life is paramount. That inward life, our text raises the question of the quality of the inward, the interior, amen. If there's something missing on the external, amen, it doesn't matter if everything on the outside lines up, God still says there's something missing. Amen. There's all that's there is the law. All that's left is the externals. All the left is conformity. Amen. What God may indeed have shown us. What God may have led us in life and purity. Amen. In the passion of serving Jesus Christ out of love the things that we've established. Amen. But long ago the inward life can wilt, a le- wilt away and the only thing would be left is a form and a shell of godliness. You know, it doesn't take that much to maintain the externals. Amen. Particularly before a very small crowd. Hallelujah. But I can tell you, there's got to be that union with Christ to maintain the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But something was missing on the inside. Something God demanded to be kept was not there. What were those things? And what do they say to us? 
we move on to our next point. What was it that was missing? We read about it in Hebrews chapter 9. First, the golden pot that had manna. And we read in Exodus chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, we see the command, amen, that God gives Moses to set aside this manna, amen, for a testimony. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot, and put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. Of course, we know manna is what God daily provided for Israel in her wilderness journey. Amen. And remember, many times they murmured and complained. They were discontented with God's provision. Amen. And it caused them great problems. But every man was required to gather his own portion, just enough for the one day, with the exception of the sixth day, amen, he was to gather also for the seventh. So on the sixth day, he was to gather provision for two days. But every other day, every man was required to gather his own portion. When the sun waxed hot, amen, the manna melted. Meaning as you gathered, amen, uh, too late in the morning, went out and you went, amen, without because it was going to be gone. You had to get up early and seek after that provision. If a man tried to make it stretch over one day besides the sixth day, amen, it would breed worms, amen. It would breed worms. And yet we read, even though God commanded for it to be kept for a test, He said, set some aside, put it in a pot, and put it in that covenant, that ark of covenant, that ark of testimony, amen, for your generations, that they can look and see. But even though God had commanded it, something inside was missing. You'll recall, looking into the New Testament, how does this apply to us in this text? We don't wake up and eat manna every day in the natural, do we? No, we don't, amen? But there is an application in the Spirit. Jesus said, I am that bread. Amen? I am that bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. He is the spiritual manna. Hence, the testimony of manna reminds us of many different spiritual lessons that all revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Namely, the principle of divine life is centered upon Christ and faith in His finished work at Calvary. We must daily abide. Now that's not something that you just simply make, amen, with the mental assent. When I'm talking about faith in the finished work of Christ, Amen. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, for cleansing, for justification, for sanctification, for healing. Whatever promise, amen, we have in the Scriptures, we're talking about abiding and not merely confessing. Lots of people make the mental assent that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died upon Calvary for them and for their sins. But there is more to saving faith than mere mental assent. Without relationship, you listen to me, without faith that apprehends, amen, the revelation of God Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, without a faith that takes hold, that literally takes hold of the hand of Almighty God and produces an experience in that heart whereby the believer can testify before the world, before an unbelieving world, before multitudes, if no one believes that one that has walked with God can say, I do know Jesus Christ. Not just that I know about Him. Not just that I have a mother and father that know about Him. Not just that I have a preacher that knows about Him. Not just that I've read a book about Him. But I walk with Him. And I do know Him. And have fellowship with Him. Anything less than that is not saving faith. And the churches are filled with such people. Amen. Churches are filled with people that would conform to all manner of law. They'll forsake all manner of things. But the one thing they won't forsake is their life. 
They'll reform themselves. They'll quit drinking. Quit gambling. Quit cursing. Try to. Amen. But they won't surrender all. You cannot have his life unless you lose your own for his name's sake. You must. Amen. Daily, every man must seek his own portion. No one can get that portion for another. Nobody. Amen. It's not just adhering to the externals. Not merely learning intellectually Christianity. You know how often people do that? They come, you sit them down, you explain to them. You know, there are many convictions that you can have that you have seen have been provoked by seeing those same convictions in other people. But I can tell you what, for the most part, you know, the things that I begin to lay aside. Amen. Nobody told me anything. But God Himself. Amen. I walked with Jesus, and Jesus said, you're not going to touch that anymore. And Jesus said, you're not going to go there anymore. And you're not going to look at that anymore. And you're not going to put on this anymore. Amen. And you're not going to participate in that anymore. And you're going to begin to do this, which you've never done before. And you're going to begin to say this, and go there and do this. It was the leading of God's Spirit. And the government of God in the individual soul. That's what we must see. Amen. That's what we must see. Now, I don't deny that there's discipleship. I don't deny. Amen. That uh, many times we're provoked by the testimony of others. And God does use that. But if there's no intimacy of spirit. If there's no true fellowship with God. If there's no uh, true union with the soul of man. With the soul of God. Then it's all external. But daily every man must seek his own portion. Amen. Inconsistent faith will breed worms. Inconsistent seeking of God to press in one day. Amen. And let three or four days slip away. You say, well, at least I prayed one day a week. It breeds worms in the spirit. And I wouldn't discourage you, amen, if you did pray. It's better than praying none. At least you were fed that day. Amen. At least there was provision that day. But I can tell you what. Inconsistent seeking of God will bring the worms of sin. The te- you see people come in. Oh, you need to seek God. You need to press in. Well, Brother Brad, you know, I, I do this and I do that. But you know this prayer thing. Seeking God. Really? But that's the hardest area. Well, the devil's going to fight you on that level. Like no other area because that is the key to life. But truly, true Christians, people that have been born of the Spirit, you really don't have to discipline them to pray because that is the lifeblood of the spiritual life. That is the lifeblood of the spiritual life. The testimony of the manna speaks of the heavenly provision. Indeed, we must never forget, God will hear the cry of His children. Whatever the need, He will supernaturally provide. Now that sounds very standard, doesn't it? That that sounds like something, you know, you just take for granted as a Christian. But the real question is, do we really believe that? And if we do really believe that, then we will be seeking God. You've heard me say many times before, if I told you you stayed in this building, amen, starting right now till tomorrow at this time and seek God and pray, amen, someone's going to come here and give you a million dollars. There'd be not a one of you go home, amen. There'd be not a one of you go home. You'd stay right here and pray for 24 hours. If you believe what I told you, that's exactly what you do. Amen. We serve the God, amen, of heaven and earth. We serve a God that made the entire universe. He will withhold nothing from those who truly seek His face. Every need can be met according to His will. And we would but seek Him while we can. But we don't. Amen. You see, He wants us to know. He doesn't want us to forget. 
Wherever we're at, whatever battle we face, whatever temptation, amen, that we're up against, whatever need we have, amen, He is the answer. And if we will seek Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, then that answer will be provided, amen, and that need will be met. That is a promise from God Almighty. We should never forget that. When we lose sight of these we have lost sight of the principles that inspire and cultivate divine life. True, we must not cast off the testimony of law, but neither can we survive apart from the principles of divine life. When it's just merely we're still holding, amen, to what we held to five years ago. When that's what we look to, to ease our conscience, Amen. To ease, when we say we're still homeschooling, we're still preaching on the street. Amen. We're still wearing the same amount of clothes. Amen. We hadn't turned on TBN. We're not watching R-rated movies. We must be doing okay. Amen. Well, thank God that we still have the law. Thank God there's still the externals. But God intended far more in our testimony. Far more in our testimony. What's the other thing that was missing? Aaron's rod that budded. We read in Numbers 17 and 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. You'll remember the Old Testament account that led up to this supernatural occurrence. Aaron's rod that budded and blossomed. You remember Korah and the company of rebels that risen up against Moses and Aaron and began to undermine spiritual authority. And what did they say? It says in Numbers 16 and 3, Ye take too much unto you. That's what those rebels said to Moses and Aaron. Seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them in the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves among the congregation of the Lord. You want to see a spirit of rebellion? That's a spirit of rebellion right there. And that's what rebellion always says in one form or one fashion. Who do you think you are? You take too much upon you. But Moses replied, This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all your company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And indeed, amen, Korah had bitten off far more than he wanted to choose, amen. You know what happened. God opened up the earth and swallowed up the rebels. Not just the rebels, but the women and the children. I said not just the rebels, but their wives and their little ones, little babies, little four and five year old, little boys and girls, amen. The earth opened up and swallowed them down and fire came out and devoured them. And the Bible says because of the screams of those, amen, that the other Israelites ran and screamed and cried out for they feared that God would destroy them. God doesn't play around with rebellion. I said, God, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. No, that's the God that you and I are submitted to here this morning. The same God who killed 50,000 people for looking in, amen, on the Ark of the Testimony. Just open the hood. He killed 50,000 of them. Amen. He does not play around with rebellion. 
But you know, those men had sown seeds of rebellion among the people. Amen. All the worst of the the rebels, the leadership that were in rebellion were destroyed. But you know, they had sown that that, uh, seed of rebellion among the people. And amazingly, I mean to read this as an amazing thing, that they had witnessed the destruction and the judgment of God consume these men. But yet right after that, they murmured again, against Moses and Aaron and accuse them. You have killed the people of God. That spirit of rebellion had leavened the holy man. Oh, what a terrible, terrible thing. You know, that that reveals the power. Amen. The deception, the depravity, amen, of a discontented heart. Amen. It cannot be satisfied. It cannot be fulfilled. Amen. That carnal mind. You cannot appease carnality. It's going to fight you one way or another. And really, you can't intimidate it. You really can't. I mean, if, if, if people can watch whole families swallowed up supernaturally by God and not be intimidated. You know, I've seen that. I've seen that right here in this church before. Oh, I can tell you what. In God's anger, he sent a plague that killed nearly 15,000 people in one day. The same God. One day. Rebellion is a terrible, terrible sin. And among other awful things, it sows division. And as Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So God in his wisdom to unify the nation under the leadership of Moses and Aaron told every tribe, he told every tribe, all twelve, bring a rod. Every tribe, every man, bring a rod. Twelve rods, each one represented a tribe, and he told Moses to write Aaron's name on the rod that represented the tribe of Levi. And God told them to place those rods in the tabernacle, and then he instructed them in number 17 and 5. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod, whom I shall choose, shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Amen. Again, you know the story. Aaron's rod budded, and thus God supernaturally unified the people. So without God's supernatural intervention, including the judgments, it's doubtful that unity would have ever been recovered, and the purpose of God would have been thwarted. Do you see? Amen. God was mercifully intervening to bring the people into one accord. Amen. And yet when Solomon brought the ark into the temple, this testimony against rebellion, it was lost. We must remember there is always a demonic conspiracy against God's chosen people. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Amen. God used that rod. Amen. The supernatural act of causing that rod to bud to unify the people. That God's approval was on His delegated authority to to shut the mouth of the murmuring and the complaining. That people would come under. That the division would be healed. But you know, this warfare, this attack, amen, this rebellious assault upon the people of God, this demonic conspiracy against God's chosen is always at hand against the unity, against the authority, and on every single level. The devil's always trying to undermine the authority of the husband. The devil's always trying to undermine the authority of a parent. The devil is always trying to undermine the authority, amen, in the church, amen. Satan's always looking to deceive, always trying to find someone from within, someone within that he can entice, that he can delude, and that he can ultimately use to sow discord, amen, and to undermine, amen, the plan of God. You see, he cannot destroy from without as long as the people of God are abiding in Christ, as long as they are walking in purity and holy. Nothing from without can destroy them. So the devil's always looking 
for an Eve. Always looking for someone that will give and lend the ear. Someone that will be seduced, as it were. To give themselves, amen, to the voice of the devil. To sow discord and to divide. This battle has constantly been waged in this church since its inception. Amen. In fact, as I, as I begin to meditate, amen, upon this, that's all that it's been. One battle after another. Again, waged against God and His authority. And there's a supernatural aspect to thwarting and to overcoming that attack. Only the supernatural exposure only the supernatural intervention of God presents the devil, prevents the devil from utterly destroying every marriage, every home, every church. There's a constant cycle of confrontation, exposure, and judgment. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's a constant cycle. Amen. If you, you know, if you're queasy at the sight of spiritual blood, then true Christianity is not really for you. Because this is a war. This is a war. And you cannot grow weary in well-doing. You cannot grow weary in the battle. And men, sooner or later, they begin to drift in the spirit. They begin to lose the life of God, whose eyes begin to dim close, and they no longer can discern as they once did. Amen. They're going to fall asleep on watch one night. I said they're going to fall asleep on watch one night. And the devil is going to come in and sow discord and bring the whole house down. And that's what he'll do. Oh, yes, he will. You see, it's imperative that we have that life. It's imperative that we have, amen, that rod, that budded, that presence and power of God that thwarts all rebellion. You know, this church would long ago have been leavened if it weren't for that dynamic of grace that has been operating in this church from its inception. There are many of you, I know you, I know your marriages, and you could stand up right now and you could testify. If it weren't for that dynamic of grace in your homes, your your marriages would be destroyed. Amen. We have a lot of younger children in here, but as they grow older, there's a warfare that takes place, and you are going to have to fight. Oh, I, I'm going to fight by being the best daddy, and I'm going to love my children, and I'm going to be with them, and I'm going to pat them on the back and kiss them on the neck and give them what they need, and I'm going to minute. That's going to be good, and that's a good thing to do. But I can tell you one thing: you better be full of the Holy Ghost, because if you're not full of the Holy Ghost, the devil is going to cut your throat, and you're not going to do anything about it. You won't even know it. Oh, yes. You better be spiritual. You better know Jesus Christ. And you better walk with Him. Because if you don't, you're already asleep. Amen. Just applying the law is not enough. Just not saying, I can tell you there's enough sin and that corrupted heart, that corrupted nature. There's enough sin, amen. My children have never been exposed to most, the vast majority, the vast balance of what I was exposed to. There's enough evil in that carnal heart to damn everybody, amen, in Mississippi. Amen. They don't have to be taught to sin. It's a nature. It's a nature. Your child's greatest enemy, amen, is not Obama. Amen. It's not a wicked government. It's not for public education. Your child's greatest enemy is them. And there's only one answer for them, and that is an old rugged cross, amen, where they will rise up and lay down in Christ and be crucified with Him. Amen. And their second greatest enemy, amen, is you, if you're not spiritual. Amen. And you can be the best father and the best mommy with a carnal mind. Amen. And you will damn their soul. Amen. If you just apply the law, we're not going to do this. We're not going to and just expect everything to, wa- uh, to work out. I can tell you for a man to get born again, it is a supernatural miracle of God. 
You just as soon go down here to this cemetery and raise someone out of the dirt that's been dead for 300 years. Friend, I can tell you what to see. Anyone right with God? It's a miracle. It's supernatural. It's not just sit down and say this little prayer after me. No, no, it's far greater. It's total and complete surrender. And you know, my little children, I've got some over here. They'll tell you, I'm not serving Jesus. I want to give up my life. What life is that? What do they do? What kind of sense do they do? Can they get to any, you know, moot that you know, I have a TV? They're not on the internet. What can they do? If I told you the worst sins that my children normally commit, you'd... in the eyes of God, they're terrible because they're rebellion. They just don't want to give up their life, their little world. They want to be able to be selfish. They want to be able to argue over a bike or a toy. They want to live independently from the Lordship of Christ. They have very little liberty at all to do, you know, very uh, little sins like the world would call sinful. But nevertheless, everything they do without Christ is sinful. Amen? Because they will not submit to God. And it takes the power of now, I could smooth it over. I could pray a prayer with all of them and call them saved. And if I was carnal, that's what I would do. You hear me? If I was carnal, I'd just pray with them and say, you believe in Jesus. And they would continue to live their little selfish lives. And because I wouldn't let them get to the cards, and I wouldn't let them get to the movie theater, and I wouldn't let them get, you know, over to this girl to fornicate or whatever it is, then, you know, before most people, they would seem saved. Amen. But they're not saved because they still live independently from the Lordship of Christ. And you might as well have Joel Osteen come in and be their father. Because I would be a snake to them. Amen? You see, unless we're spiritual, we're never going to be able to fight the battles that we must fight. We can hold some externals. And we can maintain a reputation before others. And if we're wise in our own eyes, amen, or rather we're foolish, we can compare ourselves among ourselves and we can really get to thinking that we've arrived and we're really something. Because you could compare yourself to this modern church and really to begin to think that you're spiritual. And I believe if we could all be transformed back to the first century and be compared to the first century church, we might think we're all lost. Amen. Uh, you see, it's a contrast that we don't have. We, we have, we have the weakness to compare ourselves, but we need to compare ourselves. We need to look into that mirror that does not lie. We need to look into the word of the Lord and compare ourselves to God and His word. And finally, here this morning, what does this mean for you and I? I believe it's very simplistic, and it's obvious. No doubt there are many spiritual positives here at Consuming Fire Fellowship. And I'm not attacking those positive things. Amen? I know I am here in the will of God. I'm right here where I'm supposed to be at this given time, and I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. But, you know, I fear even though that we are in the right place and we are at the right time, amen, and that we're even in the will of God, amen, and even though there are external disciplines, amen, there are many admirable things that we hold to. I believe that God is warning us here this morning that there is something missing inside. Something that at least on an unconscious level,
I think we already know. Can somebody say amen? It's not that we need to reinvent the wheel. It's not that we need to search around for a different direction. We don't have to build another temple. We don't have to get other holy instruments. We just need to bring back what we've lost, something that's missing, that needs to be in there, that God intended. Remember, Jesus warned the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. He said unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Something is missing on the inside. We must truly get back to the basics of simply loving Jesus and seeking Him earnestly on an individual level. That is the word of the Lord for this church. Do you hear me? That is, in a nutshell, the word of the Lord to you and I. We need to just get back to the basic simple, maintaining, loving Jesus, set things aside, make Him the preeminence, make Him the center, make Him the focus. Amen. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to press in. And all I want to do is know the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to get back to looking to Him solely for all things, being content with Him and Him alone. And likewise, amen, if we fail to maintain such an atmosphere, such an attitude of heart, if we seek to maintain divine life and the supernatural protection, exposure, and judgment of God against rebellion and sin, then all eventually will be lost. Let me just put that in layman's terms. If somebody around here doesn't get a hold of God and get into the altar and get a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to turn into a bunch of dead around here. Amen. That's what's going to happen to us. And you know, listen to me. January's come. January's go. Not that it just has to be January. But opportunities where we just coast through, where God has warned us. And God has said, why won't you seek my face. Brother Britt, I go to the prayer meeting every morning. But do you truly seek God? Do you truly seek Jesus? Are you really pressing in? Are you really desiring to know Him? Are you really willing to set aside everything and anything simply to walk with Him? That ever-present dynamic of grace must be with us to expose anyone that has an agenda, to protect, protect divine order. Amen. That is essential. And I can tell you, many, many of you have been here when we've had these threats. People come in, well, you know, begin to sow discord. There's order here so they don't go very far. But you let things begin to drift. You let things begin to, the, the spiritual life begin to wane and begin to, you know, uh, drop in intensity. And before long, amen, something's going to get in. Something's going to divide. Something's going to destroy. Something's going to bring destruction. Amen. God will be merciful. And God will be long-suffering and kind. And it's not God's intention, amen, that sin would find any place among us. But if we don't have faith, that we're not going to walk in the promises of God. God promises to keep us. He'll keep this church. He'll keep every marriage. He'll keep every family. But not apart from faith, He won't. Amen? And faith is going to do the will of God. No human standard and no human zeal 
can stay sin in the midst of the congregation. And when all you have is two tablets of law, all you really have is human zeal. That's all you really have. And it's not enough. Something is missing inside. Why don't you find a place to play here this morning? I pray this set the tone. We'll go into January just like this. Let this word resonate in your heart, in your spirit. Think of all the details involved in establishing that temple according to ceremonial law. Just read through the book of Leviticus, read through the law, and you see everything had to be done according to the heavenly pattern. And I believe it was. When Solomon dedicated that temple, I believe everything was according to the word, there was far more good than bad. Amen. There was a lot. The vast balance was right. But there was still something missing. Something essential that was missing. And I believe, amen, that was the root of the decline. I really do. Because it was against what God commanded. God commanded that these things <clears throat> be kept. I believe that's true of us. Amen. I I believe there's a lot that's good here. Amen. I believe God has established some things. Amen. I, I don't believe we need to be going in a different direction. I, I don't believe we need new convictions or cast off something that we're doing or, uh, you know, uh, begin to uh, go in a, a totally different direction. Amen. They had the law. The law was there. And the law was good. Amen. It should be there. So it's not that we're going to forsake that. We just need to seek the life of God afresh. Amen. We need to seek the life of God afresh. And if we'll just seek Him with all of our heart, you know the answer. We're going to find Him. Amen. How do I do that? Do I, do I just come into service and be more lively? And I think that's you know, we've been guilty of that kind of thing, you know. Just come into the prayer meeting and try to be more assertive and more loud. No. I can tell you when this is going to be healed. It's when you, somewhere, sometime, perhaps it will be at the early morning prayer meeting. It could be at the Sunday night prayer meeting. It could be at a Wednesday night prayer meeting. But it could be you in your driveway one night at midnight walking out and getting serious with God. Saying, I want to know you like I have never known you before. And I am going to consecrate this time. I'm going to fast. I'm going to I'm going to do what you're talking. I'm going to draw nigh unto you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to run hard after you. And I want, Father, I want you to reveal yourself to me afresh. And when you do that, what's going to happen, Brother Britt? The next Sunday, I'm going to come in here and the glory is going to fall? Probably not. You're going to have to fight through by faith. Amen. The feelings of coldness or your prayers, hitting a roof or what have you. But if you'll be, amen, resolved to find Jesus and uh, uh, it really, you just get a few people in here start doing that. Amen. It's just like you rub two sticks together, you're going to get heat. Amen. And I can tell you, you just begin to seek God in reality, and life will be there. It will happen. It won't have to be anything that anybody drums up or anybody manufactures or fabricates. It will simply be there. Amen. It will be a reflection. This corporate gathering will be a reflection of what's taking place in the individual life. You get one man, amen, he doesn't know Jesus. He really, 
you know it's not press 10? Well, you talk to him long enough, it'll be obvious. You get two folks that don't really know Jesus, amen, just got two folks that really don't know Jesus or don't know him very well, amen. You get a hundred people together that really aren't seeking God with all their heart, just got a church that doesn't seek God with all his heart. Amen. One person or two people or four people, and I'm not suggesting that they're not people that here that are really pressing in. I'm just simply saying one person is not going to change all that. What we are, we're all contributing collectively. There must be faithfulness. There must be commitment on every level. Because what we are, it's contributing to the whole. Amen. So let's, let's let this set the tone for January. Let's, Let's press in. Amen? Let's press in. Let's, let's hear what God would say to us. What does he want me to do? What does he want me to do? And I'm going to do it. Amen. Why don't you stand with me here this morning? Praise the Lord. God bless you. I trust we're going to seek him, and I trust he's going to reveal himself to us. Would you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Brother Charlie, would you dismiss us with prayer?